Thank you so much, Kevin. And I, uh, I really appreciate those words of challenge and really introduction to what I want to share with you today. That great old hymn really sets the stage for what it means to be a transformational people and a transformational church. It is to follow, simply follow in the steps of Jesus wherever those steps take us. And I was struck, haven't sung that hymn in a long time, I was struck this morning by the fact that it said whether those footsteps lead into the temple, holy, preaching the word, whether they bring us into a place like this. And you know, we've got this part down pretty well. But the rest of that particular line goes or into the homes of the meek and lowly, into those places where the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ has not yet penetrated. And as we've made our way through the transformational church assessment process, uh, we have seen some things that have excited us and encouraged us, and we have also seen some things that have convicted us, some things that many of them we sensed and felt, others that we had questions about, but this morning I want to thank you for participating in this. 673 of you took this assessment. We cannot thank you enough for that. We know there were somewhere around 200 others who at least started the process and didn't finish. And we want to apologize too if that was caused by some of the issues with LifeWay's uh, process there, which made it very frustrating and difficult. We know for some of you to get in there and start this assessment and finish it. But whether you completed it, whether you did part of it, we want to thank you for that because the results that you hold in your hands here on this summary sheet are the things that you have told us. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time actually going through this. It's written for you there. And so I don't know that it, it does any great uh, service to simply read through those things again, but I do want to call your attention to those things that are listed as some of our strengths and then I want to call your attention to some of those things that you told us were opportunities where we need to be growing and expanding and focusing as a church. And we're going to do our best to do that. Our next steps, which is on the reverse side of the sheet, tells you what we're going to do next. Beginning in the coming week or so, we're going to be having seven different focus groups representing a cross-section of our congregation where we're going to try to get to the why behind the what. These are the things you have told us. We want to find out why you responded this way. And so we're going to have an opportunity for some, some dialogue from you to actually hear from you. And we're going to try to do this in a way that there's a free flow of information. Nobody has to feel like they hold back on what they're, they, they want to share with us. So your staff is not going to be present in these focus groups. We're going to have an independent person that we have a great deal of confidence and faith and trust in to lead these focus groups. And you're going to have an opportunity to give more detail into why we see the kind of results that we see here. I want you to know 
how excited I am as we move into the future because really you have given us in many ways a blueprint, a foundation on which to build so that we may do exactly what we have just sung. Follow in the footsteps of Jesus wherever they lead us. Wherever they lead us. And so this morning, with those results in mind, I want to invite you to continue with me in our study of Philippians because uh, there may be no more critical place that we find ourselves, maybe even no more critical text that we find ourselves in this morning as we come to discover, hopefully, what it really means to be a transformational people and what it means to be a transformational church. And I hope that you realize that we will never be a transformational church. Taylor's First Baptist Church will never be a transformational church until it is full of people who have themselves been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, we can take all the assessments we want to take, and I'm glad we took it. We felt led to take it. Uh, your response has validated that. We can, we can set all the goals we want to set, and we're going to do that. We can plan all of the strategies that we want to plan, but we will never have a transformational church unless and until those of us who make up this church are truly living transformational lives. Will not happen. So, what does it mean to live a transformational life? That's what I pray under the leadership of the Holy Spirit we're going to look at this morning. Let me tell you that the word transform itself simply means to change the shape or the form of something. So we're talking about the Holy Spirit of God coming into our lives and changing our shape, changing the form of who we are as individuals and as a church. And when I thought about, uh, from the very beginning of this process, when I thought about the word transform, transformed or transformational, my mind immediately went, to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which is in many ways, I think, the preeminent verse speaking to this whole issue of transformation. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, tells me what this means in my life. Romans 12, 2 tells me that I am no longer to be conformed or shaped to the influences of the world around me. Rather, I am to be transformed. That word refers really to a metamorphosis. I am to be completely changed, radically changed, Paul says, because my mind has been renewed. Now, most of us are familiar with Romans 12, verse 2, but I want to do a quick word study with you this morning. I want to break it down a little bit before we get to Philippians, because I'm not really sure 
We understand the depth of what Paul is talking about here. We don't see it as clearly, I don't think, in our English translations. So let me walk you through this verse for just a minute in sort of an in-depth word study. Romans 12, 2 reads, according to the New American Standard, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let me walk through some, some phrases and some words with you here. First of all, Paul says, do not be conformed. Now that word conformed means to identify with something. It means to take on the existing form of something. The idea really is to be squeezed. It is to be shaped. It is to be molded by an outside force so that the object that the force is acting on becomes shaped in the way that that force wants it to be shaped. So we end up looking like and reflecting the way something else wants us to look. Paul says don't do that. Don't, don't let some outside force shape and form and squeeze your life into a certain mold. What is it we're not supposed to be conformed to? Paul says don't be conformed to this age. Now many of our modern translations have the word world here. But this is not really the common word for world, the word cosmos. This is the word ion, and it refers specifically to this present age we live in, the contemporary culture that we live in. Paul says, don't let this culture that you live in shape and mold your life. Instead, he says, watch this, we're to be shaped and we're to be molded by something else. He says we're to be transformed. And the word there in the original language is metamorphose. You can see the word metamorphosis there. It's talking about a radical change. Most of us, I don't know about you, but most of us were exposed to the word metamorphosis in elementary school. When the teacher brought a jar into our classroom containing a caterpillar. And we watched that caterpillar spin a cocoon. And then in a process that none of us really understood, a metamorphosis took place so that what emerged out of that cocoon looked absolutely nothing like what went into that cocoon. And this is what Paul is saying. We're to be radically transformed. Our lives are to look nothing like the culture out there. We're supposed to be radically different. The, the trajectory of our lives, the essence of our lives, the purpose of our lives is to be completely and radically changed. How does this happen? He says, by the renewal of something. Now, this word renew doesn't simply mean to just make something new, to remake it. Really, this is a word that originally referred to taking something and moving it from one stage to a higher stage, one level to a higher level. What are we supposed to move to a higher level in order to experience this transformation? Paul says we need to have our minds renewed. And that word mind is referring to the way we think, the way we understand things, the way we reason things. So Paul is saying our minds, the way we think, the way we understand things, the way we reason about things, 
Our thinking has to be raised to a higher level than the way people all around us think. Did you know that? Do you understand this morning that if you are a Christian, if you have genuinely been born again, your mind is supposed to operate on a higher level than anyone else's? So I've given you here an amplified translation of this verse. This is the uh, Alan McQuite version, the AMCV, that I've listed for you here. This is what Paul is saying to us. Do not let your life take on the same shape as what you see being lived out in the culture all around you. Instead, allow the shape of your life to be completely changed by taking your thinking about life, your understanding of life, and your reasoning in life, and raising them to a higher level. So the question becomes, how do we do that? How do we raise our minds? How do we raise our thinking, our understanding of life, our reasoning in life to a higher level? Well, the answer to that is found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Now, we're going to look at all of that, but the key verse here really is verse 5, which says, have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, would you agree this morning that if you truly had the mind of Christ, if the way you thought about life, the way you understand life, the way you reason about life, if you did those things like Jesus did them, would you agree that your mind would be operating at a higher level than anybody else's? It absolutely would be. This is what Paul is telling us we must do. We must cultivate the mind of Christ. If we're going to live transformed, transformational lives, we're going to have to change the way we think. We're going to have to change the way we understand life. We're going to have to change the way we reason our way through life. Our thinking, our minds have got to be raised to a higher level, and that higher level is to gain the very mind of of Christ. Now, in this text, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, Paul is going to be contrasting for us two different approaches to life, two ways of thinking about life, two ways of understanding life. And I'm going to try to break it down for you this way by describing them in, in, these, in these ways. Paul is going to talk to us about a me-shaped life or a self-formed life. And he's going to talk to us about a cross-shaped life or a cruciform life. See, there's this me-shaped, self-formed life that's shaped according to the culture. And I'm calling it me-shaped because the culture is all about me. The culture is all about my desires, what pleases me, what benefits me, what I want in life, and what I expect out of life. Then there's the cross-shaped life or the cruciform life. This is the life modeled after the life of Christ. This is a life of self-emptying. This is a life of self-giving. This is a life of self-sacrifice. And these two ways of life, and let me, let, me, let me tell you this morning, 
There are no other ways. There's only two ways. There's not a middle way. There's either the me-shaped, self-formed, culture-molded life, or there is the cross-shaped, cruciformed life, and we're going to find ourselves in one or the other of those. And of these two ways of life, only one of these ways is truly transformational. And that is the cross-shaped life. That is the cruciform life. It is the self-sacrificing life, self-emptying life, self-giving life. And I have to tell you this morning, this is the reason why we don't see more true transformation in our lives and in our churches because Self-giving, self-emptying, self-sacrifice are things that we do not willingly embrace. These are things we often have a very hard time with. Because when we talk about them, we're we're finding ourselves running into the the very wind of what our materialistically oriented and self-serving culture is telling us we ought to do. A self-sacrificing life, a cross-shaped life is completely countercultural, And that's why it's so hard. And that's why we run away from it. And that's why we see so little transformation. So let me fill in this blank for you here. A transformed life is a cruciformed life. It is a cross-shaped life. Life, it is a life formed and fashioned by the cross of Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.20, again and again and again we come back to it. This is the Passion Translation. Paul says, my old identity has been co-crucified with Christ so that I no longer live. For the nails of his cross crucified with me, crucified me with him. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine because Christ is now living his life out through me. His mind is operating through my mind. His heart is beating in my heart. The transformed life is the cruciformed life. So we're going to look here at Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11, to see what a cross-shaped, cruciform life looks like. But before we do that, I want to give you and I want to show you an illustration this morning of the me-shaped or the self-formed life. And the really scary thing about this illustration is that we see this taking place in the lives of Jesus' own disciples. These are the guys who are supposed to be closest to him. These were the guys who walked with him. They slept underneath the Palestinian sky with Jesus. They observed his actions. They heard his words. And yet they didn't get how different life was supposed to be when you walked with Jesus. So look at these verses with me. Mark chapter 10, 35 through 38. They're in your message guide. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. (laughs) Have you ever seen this before? Jesus, 
We want you to do whatever we ask of you. This is crazy, right? I mean, Jesus, it doesn't matter that you're the Son of God. It doesn't matter that you're the Lord of everything. We just want you to do what we want you to do. Now, I'm not even going to ask this morning how many times we do the same thing. Right? Sure we do. Dictating to the Son of God, Jesus, we want you to do this. Jesus, we need you to do that in my life, in my situation, in my circumstances. This is pretty amazing. They say, we're, we're really not too concerned about your purposes here, Jesus. We're not focused on what you're wanting to do. This is about what we want you to do. So this is what ha- is happening here. And Jesus, the very picture of incredible grace and in, in incredible patience, turns to these guys and he says, okay, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do? He was sort of, I think, gauging their heart. He was really setting them up. They didn't know it. What do you want me to do for you? And they say, well, Jesus, you know, it's only a little thing here. You probably won't even notice if you do it for us. We're not, we're not asking a whole lot. Just a small favor. Let us sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand, when you come into your glory. In other words, Jesus, we just... We just want to be at the top with you, that's all. When your kingdom gets set up, when you come into your glory, we want to share that glory. We want you to crown us. We want you to exalt us, Jesus. We want you to lift us up. We want you to give us positions of honor and power and authority in your kingdom. That's all we're asking. And Jesus says, look at this. You don't even know what you're asking me. You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink from? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized with? In other words, guys, do you understand at all what it means to follow me? I'm headed to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to my enemies. I'm going to be condemned to death. They're going to mock me. They're going to spit upon me. They're going to scourge me. They're going to drive spikes through my hands and my feet, and they're going to hang me up on a cross to die, gentlemen. Yes, after three days I'll rise again. Yes, I'll be declared to be the Son of God in power. Yes, I'll receive all glory. But before that happens... This is what I've got to go through. Are you ready to go through the same? Will you accept this? Will you embrace this? Will you welcome this? That's what Jesus was asking them. And you know what? That is exactly what he is asking you and me this morning. So what are your expectations, really, as a follower of Jesus Christ? What do you expect your life to be like tomorrow or next week or next month or next year? Do you just want the glory? Do you just expect Jesus to do for you what you want him to do for you? Jesus, I just expect a good life here. I expect good things. I expect security and comfort. I expect some level of affluence and influence. I expect things to go well for me. 
Can I say to you this morning, that is not a transformed life. That is not a life that has been radically changed by the gospel. People whose lives have been radically transformed by the gospel understand this secret. Look at it. There is no crown without a cross. There is no crown without a cross. There is no victory without some agony. There is no resurrection Sunday without a crucifixion Friday. This is what Jesus is saying. And the life that tries to avoid the struggle, the life that tries to avoid the sacrifice, the life that tries to avoid the self-emptying is a me-shaped life. It is a self-formed life. It is not a transformed life because a transformed life is a cruciformed life. It is a cross-shaped life. So, what does a cross-shaped life really look like? Let's dig into this text and see if we can find out. Let's start with a little bit of education. I'm an educator, a professor. Let's start with a little education in cross-shaped living, verses 1 through 4. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, any common sharing in the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of of others. Now Paul is setting us back on our heels here. He's saying, look, uh, you're united with Christ. You know the comfort of his love. You know what it's like to have your life indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. You know his strength, you felt his tenderness, his compassion. So because of that, Here's what you're supposed to be doing. All of you together in one spirit and with one purpose, do this. Number one, and I'm going to give you several of these. You're going to have to write them down yourself. I didn't have room in this message guide to put all of this. Number one, get rid of selfish ambition. In other words, determine once and for all that life is not about you. It's not about what you want. It's not about your preferences. It's not about having everything go the way you want it to go. Get rid of that selfish ambition. Number two, get rid of vain conceit. Would you get your own ego out of the way? Get it out of the picture. Again, this is not about you. It's not about what you want. It's not about what you can get out of life. It's not about what you expect from life. Instead, Paul says, number three, you need to humble yourself. Take yourself off the throne of your life. 
Take the low place. Humble yourself. Don't expect other people to be serving you, to be meeting all your expectations, to be doing things your way. Humble yourself. Put other people first. Make their needs and their desires and their welfare more important than your own. Value other people more than you value yourself. And then he says this. Don't be consumed with your own desires. Make other people's needs, other people's desires, other people's welfare more important than your own. Value them more than you value yourself. Don't be consumed with your own interests. What benefits you? But do whatever it takes to advance the interest of others. Do whatever it takes to benefit others. Did you get this part of the education in your Christian life? I'm afraid a lot of us were absent on the day this lesson was taught. Or maybe we just skipped this whole grade. Maybe we just skipped this whole grade. Because this is why so many relationships are messed up. This is why so many marriages are messed up. This is why so many churches get messed up. It's because we want what we want. We want things our way. We want our needs to be met instead of serving one another and meeting the needs of other people. Let me let you in on a secret here. If I truly belong to Christ, then my desires and my interests are to be set aside for the sake of others. Cannot be said any plainer than Paul says it here. Do nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others more than yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of of others. That's the education we need this morning, church. Can you imagine how different all of life might look if all of us started doing what God's Word says for us to do here? Do you believe homes would be changed? Do you believe marriages would be changed? Do you believe churches would be changed? How different would it look if we got this part of the education and what it means to live a cross-shaped life. Let me show you how different it, it does look. Because one person did live his life this way, completely. Let's look at the example in cross-shaped living. Verses 5 through 8. Have this attitude, many translations say, have this mind in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Have this attitude 
in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let me stop here because there's something very significant in these words. Paul is giving us insight into the very mind of Christ. You can read the Gospels and you can see Jesus' actions described. You can see the kind of things that he did. But here Paul is actually giving us insight into why Jesus did the things he did. This is how Jesus thought about life. This is how he understood life. This is how he approached life. This is what drove his actions. This is why he lived his life the way that he did. This was his mind. This was his attitude. This was his outlook. What did he do? Three things. Same three things that we must do in order to live a cross-shaped, transformational life. Number one, Jesus embraced incredible selflessness. Verses 5 and 6, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Even though Jesus occupied the loftiest place, the loftiest status imaginable, equal with God, he didn't hold on to that position. He didn't hold on to that status at all costs. He didn't say, I can't let go of this. He didn't say, I've got to live my life my way. No, he said, I'm willing to give up All of that, and he did. He gave up his place. He gave up his position. He gave up his power, at least in the way it was manifested on earth. He gave up his personal interest, his comfort, his privilege for our sake. Cross-shaped living is an incredibly selfless kind of living modeled by the Lord Jesus Christ. He embraced incredible selflessness. Number two, he embraced humble servanthood. Verse seven, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. This is the mystery of the incarnation. This is the eternal, infinite God taking on finite humanity. Instead of being full of himself, Paul says Jesus actually emptied himself. He poured himself out for our sake. He laid aside the prerogatives and the rights and the privileges that belonged to him as God. And he took on human form and human flesh so that he could identify with us in our weakness and in our powerlessness, and in our suffering, and he served us. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Cross-shaped living is always exemplified by humble servanthood. Somebody heard somebody ask one time, how do I know if I have a servant heart? Here's the answer. You'll know whether or not you have a servant's heart by how you respond when somebody treats you like a servant. When somebody treats you like a servant, when they're always expecting you to give and they're never giving, when they're always looking for you to do something but they're not willing to do anything, When you're treated like a servant, how do you respond? Cross-shaped living embraces humble servanthood. And then finally, cross-shaped living embraces 
extraordinary sacrifice. Verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient unto death, even death, don't miss this last phrase, even death on a cross. Jesus' sacrifice is not seen just in the fact that he died for you and me. It was the way he died for us. Jesus' death was not the peaceful death of old age. It was not the sudden death of accident or injury. It wasn't the death of a hero whose sacrifice was hailed by those who saw it. It wasn't the death of a soldier who suddenly cut down in battle and who falls in glory. No, Jesus' death was the most degrading kind of death, the most humiliating kind of death, the most lingering death, the most torturous kind of death that the depravity of man could possibly come up with. It was death on a cross, and yet that was the kind of death Jesus was willing to embrace for you and for me. It was an extraordinary sacrifice, giving of himself for you and for me. Incredible selflessness, humble servanthood, extraordinary sacrifice. Those were the things Jesus embraced. This is the way he looked at life. This is the way he approached life. This is the way he lived his life. And here's the secret, the most important thing I could say to you this morning. I can actually have the same mind that Jesus had. You can have the same mind that Jesus has had. Paul said, have this attitude in yourselves. Have this mind in yourselves that was also in Christ Jesus. This is the mind God wants to give you. This is the attitude he wants us to embrace. And it's the the only way we're going to ever live transformed, transformational lives. Very quickly, I want to look at my encouragement for cross-shaped living. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because we don't have a lot of time. But verses 9 through 11, For this reason God highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What are these verses teaching us? They're teaching us exactly what we said a moment ago. That the cross comes before the crown. The suffering comes before the glory. And I need you to understand this morning that one of the greatest dangers to your discipleship and my discipleship, I'm absolutely convinced, is expecting the crown before the cross. Expecting the glory before the glory is here. That's what the disciples were were expecting, right? We just want you to do, Jesus, for us what we want you to do. We just want to reign with you. We want to rule with you. We want the glory now. We want the good stuff now. We want the reward now. And Jesus said, you have no idea what it means to be part of my kingdom. If you did, you would embrace a life of selflessness now. You would embrace a life of servanthood now. You would embrace a life of sacrifice now. Then I'll raise you up. Then I'll exalt you. Then you can look for the glory. But the cross comes before the crown. Let me let you know one last secret. The way to a life of ascent, 
the way to a life of glory and acclaim and God's favor is through a life of descent. I put a little diagram for you here. You can just look at it yourself. Look how Jesus stepped down. Look how he descended step by step. He didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself, took on the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Down, 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 down to the point of giving his life an extraordinary sacrifice for you and me. Then, after that, what happened? Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's how it works. The way to a life of ascent is through a life of descent. The only way you'll ever be lifted up is for you to bow down low. That's my encouragement. I'm not doing this for nothing. God will raise me up. God will exalt me. But only through a life of descent. Only through a life of self-sacrifice and servanthood and self-emptying. So here's the question of the hour. Show you one more text. Luke chapter 22 or 3, 39 through 40, 42 through 43. Here... You know the story. Jesus is being crucified. Two men are being crucified with him, one on his right hand, one on his left, just like the disciples had asked to be placed, remember? Jesus, we just want to be one of us on your right hand, one of us at your left hand. Here's Jesus on the cross. One thief on his right hand, one thief on his left hand. No wonder Jesus said to his disciples, you have no idea what you're asking me because I'm going to be crucified between two thieves. One of the thieves, the preeminent example of a me-shaped life, a self-formed life. Jesus, you're the Son of God. Do what I ask you to do. Save me. Save yourself. But the other thief asked what surely must be one of the most important questions in all of Scripture. Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? In other words, Jesus, might I be crucified with you so that when your kingdom comes, I'll be with you because my life has been transformed. You've only got two options this morning. There are no others. It's the me-shaped, self-formed life, or it's the cross-shaped, cruciformed life. Only one of those lives leads to real transformation. And until we become transformational followers of Christ... We'll never have a transformational church. Have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. It is very clear. 
Our lives must be shaped. They must be formed. They must be transformed by the cross of Christ. We must embrace self-giving, self-emptying, self-sacrificed, or we will never, ever be transformed by the renewing of our minds. God, I pray this morning as we think not just as a church toward becoming a transformational people, but as individuals in our homes, in our families, in our relationships of all kinds with other people. God, may we allow your Holy Spirit to give us the very mind of Christ. Break us. Convict us. Show us, Father, where we have Live that self-formed, me-shaped life. Give us a cross-shaped life is our prayer in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you to join me in standing. We're going to sing a very familiar hymn. I've decided to follow Jesus. This is what it means to follow Him. If anyone would come after me, Jesus said, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily. Then you can follow me. No cross, no crown. If God's speaking to your heart this morning, you need to respond in any way these altars are open. I'll be glad to pray with you as somebody who's struggling in this journey with you. We need each other. Then you come as we sing, as Kevin leads us right now. Come on.